Amen. Amen. All right. Well, guys, if you will, open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. If you brought a Bible, um, Ephesians chapter 1. If not, that's fine. I have the scriptures behind the screen. My name is Matt Carter. I'm the founding pastor here at the Austin Stone and and serve as one of the pastors of preaching here. But uh, we're continuing our verse-by-verse look at the book of Ephesians. And specifically over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about um, our salvation in Jesus. Our salvation in Jesus. And last week, Hallem talked about kind of what it is that we receive at our salvation. What was it that we got? What was it that the Lord gave us at our salvation? It's kind of the what of our salvation in Jesus. In Ephesians 1.7, I'll go ahead and read it to you and just remind you what Hallem taught us last week. Ephesians 1.7, the scripture says, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses. All right, that's the what of our salvation. That's what you received on the day you're saved. If you're a Christian, that's what you got. You received the re- redemption. You received redemption through his blood. That means that there was, there was a guilty sentence on, on your life because of your sin. But through his blood, he paid that penalty. And so we've been pardoned through the person of Jesus and we belong to him. The other thing the scripture says is that we've received forgiveness of our trespasses. That means that through the blood of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Uh, that every sin you've ever committed, uh, the, the ones you've, uh, you've already committed, the ones you're going to uh, commit in, in the blood of Jesus, you're completely and totally forgiven. And so that now, through Jesus, if you're saved, the Lord looks at you and you're completely blameless in his sight. Uh, you're completely righteous in his sight because he's removed all your sin from you. Okay, so Paul tells us that's what happened. Forgiveness of sins, redemption through his blood. Now today, in the very next section, or the very next part of the verse, he's going to start talking about how God did that in you. He's going to talk about how God accomplished that salvation in you, how you got those two things, redemption and forgiveness. Uh, think about it kind of this way. You guys, most of you are going to leave today, you're going to go out in the parking lot, and you're going to get in a car. And you're going to turn the ignition on, and you're going to start driving away this completed product called the car. And some of you that are true Texans are going to get in what's called a truck, and you're going to drive away. But a lot of you are going to get in this thing called the car, this completed thing called the car. Now, the thing is, that thing wasn't always a car. It wasn't always this completed product. It, it started out as a bunch of little pieces, and somebody put that thing together, and it formed a car. And that's kind of what Paul's doing, is there's this completed thing called our salvation, forgiveness of our trespasses. But what he's going to do here in the next few phrases is he's going to step back, and he's going to talk about how those things got put together and, and, and how that happened. And I want you to think about this. If you're a Christ follower today, if you believe in the gospel, if you've trusted in the gospel, there was a moment in your life, there was a moment in your life when you believed. There was a moment in your life where you came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, all right? It happened. There was this moment when all of a sudden you got it and you're like, I believe this and I want to follow Jesus the rest of my life. Paul's going to show us what was happening in that moment, all right? So let's read Ephesians uh, chapter one, verse seven again. It says, in him, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's what we got, that's our salvation. Now, in the very next part of the phrase there, Paul tells us how that happened. He says, according to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. That word according to right there, It means because of 
his grace. Because of the riches of grace. You're saved today. You got saved because of our God is rich in grace. Now, I want you to notice what Paul doesn't say here. Because he could have said that. He could have said that. What does he not say? He doesn't say you've received forgiveness of your sins and redemption through his blood because you asked for it. He doesn't say you've received forgiveness of your sins and and redemption through his blood because you prayed for it. He doesn't say you've received uh, forgiveness of your sins and redemption through your blood because you repented and he gave it to you. And all those things are true. But when he's unpacking for us how the salvation thing happened, he begins this thing by saying, uh, you've received redemption through his blood and forgiveness of your trespasses because of the riches of his grace. Okay, now what does that mean? That we got saved because God is rich in grace. Now to explain to you what that means, uh, that he's rich in grace, because grace is one of those words that we hear all the time, but we're not quite really sure what it means. To explain to you what it, what it means, I want to show you my wallet. Now, I'm going to hold my wallet up. This is actually my wallet that I carry around with me all the time right here. And, um, and for those, like, this is it. And for those of you who are chiropractors in the room, no, I don't wear this in my back pocket, but this is my wallet. I get made fun of the fact that this is my wallet probably once a week. People say, Matt, that's a Costanza wallet. And for those of you that have no idea what Seinfeld is, there's a dude named George Costanza that had a wallet just like this, and people made fun of him too. But I want to show you guys why I have this massive wallet that I carry around. Um, and and here, here it is right here. This, this is why... I have a really thick, massive wallet. That, that's a badge. And you think, why in the world do you have a badge in your wallet? Well, the answer is because I'm a chaplain of the Austin Independent School District Police Department, which is who these guys over here. Come on out, Officer Barnes. Let them see you. This is the, this is the, uh, that's right. That's right. These guys are my friends, and they will tase you if you mess with me. And, uh, but I became their chaplain several years ago, and they gave me a badge, one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given in my whole life. And uh, it says chaplain on there, and they gave me this little wallet, and I carry it around. And it works out handy when you get pulled over for speeding. I'm just saying that in advance. And I actually, that happened to me this last week. And I'm just confessing my sins to you. I know you've never been pulled over for speeding in your life. I did. And um, I, was, I was out driving home in the, from the hill country. I was out on a trip. And... Um, and I was, uh, it was one of those big double, like four lane highways. Nobody's out there, 75 miles per hour. I was going to 82 and I thought I was all alone, but I wasn't. And this cop pulled me over and he said, um, you're going 82 and 75. Did you realize that? I was like, no, I didn't. I'm so sorry. And he said, can I see um, your license and proof of insurance? And this is what I did. I went, as a matter of fact, sir, you can't. Like that. And I went, and I'm, like that. And he looks at me and he says, where are you a cop? And I'm honest with him. And, uh, and I say, well, I'm not a cop. I, uh, I'm a chaplain for the ASD police department, a pastor of a church. And those guys serve us every Sunday and they're there and just protect the church, protect the people and all that stuff. And, and he looked at me and he said, he said, well, sir, um, slow down. I'll give you a verbal warning. And I, and, and then I was like, thank you, Jesus. And I said, oh, right. And, um, and so I drove away. Now here's the question. And don't shout it out, but just think about it. Did that guy give me, did that police officer give me grace? Did he give me grace? Well, the answer is no. He didn't give me grace. What he actually gave me in that moment is called mercy. Mercy is when you, and listen carefully to this. Mercy is when you do not receive something 
that you do deserve. Okay, that's mercy. When you do not get something, you do not receive something that you do deserve. I deserved a ticket. I was going to 82 and a 75. He did not give it to me. That's mercy. Um, God is rich in mercy. Okay, we're going to learn that. God is rich in, in not giving us things that we do deserve. Every single one of us, because we've sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, deserve hell, deserve eternal punishment. The scriptures, he doesn't give it to us in Jesus. That's mercy. Now, if that's mercy, when we do not give something we do deserve, what is grace? What is grace? Grace is when we do receive something that we do not deserve. That's grace. Every time you see it in the scripture, apply that uh, definition. When you do receive something you do not deserve, that's grace. And so this would have been grace. Um, you know, Pastor Carter, verbal warning, slow down. That's mercy. Don't get something you do deserve. Grace would have been, now Pastor Carter, I'll tell you what, there's a gas station right up there. I see you're low on gas. Let's drive there. I'm going to fill up your tank for you. So we drive there, and he, with his own money, he fills up my tank. He gives me something I don't deserve. That's grace. And he doesn't stop there. He says, I tell you what, Pastor Carter, because you serve uh, the Austin Independent School District Police Department, I'm not only going to fill up your tank, but I'm also going to give you an escort all the way back to Austin so you don't get pulled over again. That's grace. He gives me something that I do not deserve. Okay, that's what grace means. Now, let's read the scripture again. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses or our sins. That's what you got. That's your salvation. Now watch what it says. According to or because of the riches of his grace. Why did you receive your salvation? Why did you believe? Paul is saying to us, You received your salvation, you got saved, you got this forgiveness of your trespasses because our God is rich in giving us things that we do not deserve. That's our God. He's rich. He's rich in giving us things we do not deserve. Now, some of you hear that and you go, wait a minute, what do you mean I don't deserve my salvation? What does that mean? What do you mean that that I have this stuff because he gives me stuff I don't deserve? Well, to understand why our salvation is something that we didn't deserve... You have to understand the condition of your heart before God was rich in grace to you and saved you. Okay, what was the condition of your heart? The condition of your soul, this is your mind, before you came to Christ, before he showed you his grace. Well, the Bible gives us four primary descriptions of the condition of our heart before God, being rich in grace, comes in and saves us. The first one is deadness. The Bible says that before Christ showed you his grace, your heart, your soul was dead. I'll show you a scripture in a minute, but that's the number one uh, description of our hearts before Jesus. Not sort of alive, but struggling. Not, not kind of dead. Not mostly dead, like in the Princess Bride. It's like the Bible describes our hearts as like stone cold dead before Jesus and his grace comes and saves us. Another description of our heart before Christ is lostness. The Bible talks about lostness. I've only been really lost once. It was on this huge ranch. I was deer hunting, and a fog came down. It was like 30,000 acres, and a fog came, and I was lost, man, for hours. I had no idea where I was. They had to come find me. That's the picture you often see of your heart before Jesus and his grace comes and gives us what we don't deserve. Another picture, describe our hearts. It's hard. Our hearts are hard. It calls it a heart of stone or calloused. Right? That's the condition of your heart. Last one here. Description the Bible uses to describe the condition of me before my salvation is that we are enemies of God. 
The Bible never says you're ambivalent towards God. The Bible never says that you're kind of on a middle road with God. The, the Bible always uses this dichotomous language that you're either for God, you're with God, you belong to him, or the Bible says that you are against God, that you are an enemy of God. And before Christ comes into the picture, that's what we are. We are enemies of God. So, so here's the question that you've got to get to the bottom of. is how in the world, and Paul is explaining, by the way, how in the world does a spiritually dead, lost hard-hearted, enemy of God, all of a sudden one day decide, I love Jesus, I want him to be my Lord and Savior, I want to follow him the rest of my life. How does that happen? What Paul is saying to us, what the Bible is saying to us, this is how that happened. Our God is rich in grace. Our God is rich in giving us things that we do not deserve. In him, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. He's starting to unpack it. He's starting to, he's starting to show us. This is how this happened in you. This is how it happened to you. Now in the next two verses, in verse eight and nine, he gets real explicit about what happened in that moment that you believed. The very moment that you believed. Look at verse eight. Which he, okay, so he just said, we got these two things, forgiveness, redemption, according to the rich of his grace. And then in verse 8, he says, which he lavished on us. I love that word lavished. He, God, lavished this grace on you. He's rich in grace, gave you stuff you don't deserve. And all wisdom and insight, look at verse 9. He says, and he made known. He, God, made known. That word means revealed right there. He revealed to us the mystery of his will. He, Paul says, he revealed to you, he made known to you the mystery of his will. Now, to really understand what he's saying there, you have to understand what the word mystery is. The word mystery in the Bible, every time you see it, it's never, it's never a word that means something that's confusing, like we kind of think it means, but it's a word that means something that was hidden, that couldn't be seen, and now can be seen. It's something that was hidden that you couldn't see, but now has been revealed, okay? And Paul said to us, okay, you got the salvation, because God's rich in giving you stuff you do not deserve. He lavished it upon you. And then he says, he made known, he revealed to you this mystery of his will. He did it. He showed, it. He showed you. Now, what is the mystery of his will? We find out that Paul is talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus right there. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about this truth that because of our sin, our relationship with God was shattered when we needed reconciliation back with God. And so instead of just beating us down and making us try to get there, he sent Jesus. And Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, uh, the Son of the living God came. He lived a perfect life. He lived a life we could never live. He died in our place. He died the death we should have died. And so that we, if we trust in him and believe in him, we can be reconciled back to God and, and have eternal life. It's the gospel. It's the good news. And what Paul just said, what the scripture just said, church, is that it is the Lord that revealed that to you. If you believe that today, it's because the Lord has revealed it to you. Jesus clearly and plainly says that to us in the story of Peter's confession. You remember the story of Peter's confession there, Caesarea Philippi. Jesus comes up to his disciples and he asks them a question. He said, who are people saying that I am? And they said, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're Elijah that's come back. Some people think you're just another prophet that's come down the pike. And then Jesus looks at them and says, well, who do you say that I am? 
Who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, and Peter says, Jesus, you are the Christ, and you are the Son of the living God. Peter got it right. He said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one that all, you're the one that's all these prophets have been preaching about for years, but they didn't know who you were. You're him. You're this, you're this mystery. You're the mystery that they have longed to see but couldn't because it hadn't been revealed yet. You're the one. You're the Christ. And not only are you the Christ, but you're the Son of the living God. Jesus, you're God. And then Peter looks at him and watch what he says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. Don't turn there. Just listen. Jesus looks at Peter and says, and Jesus said to him, blessed are you. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, it's another name for Peter, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. Jesus looks at Peter and says, you got the right answer, you're blessed. And some person didn't reveal that to you, Peter. Some person, some pastor. Um, you didn't figure that out, Peter. What Jesus just said is, blessed are you, Peter, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. But Jesus said, my father, my father who was in heaven revealed that to you. Who's doing the revealing? The Lord, the, God, Jesus is doing the revealing. Jesus said, you're able, you were able to say that I'm the Christ. When everybody else is getting it wrong, you're able to say that I'm the Christ. You're able to say that I'm the son of the living God because the father opened your heart and gave you the ability to say that. You see it in the story of the parable of the sower. Y'all remember that story that Jesus told? It's like the guy came and scattered all the seed and there's these different soils and the response was different. Jesus told that in the presence of the scribes and the Pharisees, the people that hated Jesus. And the disciples were there also. And nobody had a clue what it meant. The Pharisees and the scribes were like, we have no idea what that means. They walk off. The disciples had no idea what it means because they came up to him privately afterwards and said, Jesus, what in the world did that mean? And so Jesus takes them aside privately, the Bible says, and he tells them what it meant. And they raise their hand and say, Jesus, why didn't you just tell that plainly to everybody? Why you got to talk crazy and then pull us aside and give us the meaning? And then his response is really interesting. You don't hear this verse preached very often. In Matthew 13, 11, Jesus answered to them, and this is, again, privately to his boys, his, his, his sons, his disciples. He said, because to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. To you guys it's been granted, it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but, but to them it has not been granted. Jesus did the revealing to his disciples only, to his sons, his daughters only. You see it in the story of Doubting Thomas. And this, this, um, this story is amazing. When I, when I was preaching through John years ago, I'd never seen this. I always had this in my mind that Thomas, y'all heard Doubting Thomas, he was one of the disciples, didn't believe that Thomas believed because he put his hands in Jesus' scars, uh, his fingers in Jesus' scars, his hand in Jesus' side where he was pierced. But you actually go read it carefully. That's not what happened. It's not what Thomas believes. In John 20, 24, listen to the story. But Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And so this is after the resurrection. Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the grave. Peter, John, James, all the disciples have seen him. They've seen him risen from the grave, and they're freaking out, and they're like, oh, my gosh, this, is guy, this guy's exactly who he said he was. But Thomas wasn't there. And so the disciples, in verse 25, so the disciples were saying to Thomas or to him, we've seen the Lord. All right, so they come back to him and say, we've seen Jesus. He's alive. But watch what Thomas says to them. 
But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger in the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He said, I got, boys, I got to do two things if I'm going to believe this crazy story that Jesus is alive. Number one, I got to put my finger in his hands. And number two, I got to take my hand, I got to put it in his side. And then he said, until then, and in the Greek, it's a very strong statement here. It sounds kind of just middle of the road. He's actually really passionate in the Greek. He's saying, unless I do that, I refuse to believe this. This guy is absolutely anti-believing in Jesus. Now, I want you to watch what Jesus does because it's a gorgeous picture of how Jesus comes after us in our disbelief. Look at verse 26. And eight days later, after eight days, eight days after Thomas saying, unless I put my finger here and my hand here, I refuse to believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. So eight days later, they're all hanging out. Thomas is there. Jesus shows up on the scene. First thing out of his mouth, he says, peace be with you. And watch the next thing Jesus does. Then he said to Thomas. I love that. Did you catch that? Were you awake? Walks in the door eight days later. Peace be with y'all. Thomas, I need to talk to you. First thing out of his mouth, he gets his gaze on the one man in the room that didn't believe. Now watch this. This blew my mind the first time I saw this when I was studying this years ago. And he said to Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it in my side. And before Thomas does it, Scripture doesn't say he does it right there. Jesus just holds out his hands, and before Thomas does it, before he gets the chance to reach out, Jesus says, and do not be unbelieving, but be believing. That is a command in the Greek. It's an imperative in the Greek. He's not holding his hands out going, here's my hands, Thomas, please believe, please believe, please believe. He looks at Thomas, holds out his hands, and before Thomas has a chance to reach out, he commands him, be not unbelieving, be believing. It's the same language you see in Genesis where God speaks into the darkness, where there was no light, where there was no hope of light, and he speaks into the darkness, command, let there be light, and boom, the light obeyed. Boom, there was light. It's the exact same thing Jesus does. Be not unbelieving, be believing. Watch what comes out of Thomas's mouth. This man said, I am not going to believe unless I put my hands in his side. In verse 28, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Before he even puts his hand, Jesus said, you be believing, my Lord, my God. And he believed. Who's doing the pursuing there? Jesus. Who's doing the revealing? Jesus. Church, that's grace. That's grace. And Paul's saying, that's how you got saved. Paul's saying, that's how you got saved. The Bible just said, that's how you got saved. Ephesians 1, 7, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our, of our trespasses, our sins, because of the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, because of, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Here's the point. Here's the point. If you're a believer today, if you're truly a believer today, you've trusted in Jesus, 
For your salvation, you're not a believer because of your intellect. You're not a believer because you're smarter than everybody else and figured it out. You're not a believer because you're a better decision maker than the people that haven't. You're not a believer because you're better or more holy than people that haven't made that decision. What the scripture just said, not me, what the scripture just said is you're a believer today because God is rich and giving you stuff you don't deserve. And when you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, he made known to you the mystery of his will. Which is why, which is why in Ephesians 2.1, when Paul gets done with this whole argument, that's what he says. He says, and you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Uh, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the son's obedience. Among them, we all, we all, we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, not giving us what we do deserve, being children of wrath, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us, he made us alive together with Christ. And he ends the whole thing. He says, by grace, by grace, you have been saved. I want to end today with just taking this and applying it to two groups of people I'm done. The first group of people I want to talk to is those of you in the room that, that doubt your salvation. You believe, but you struggle with your salvation. Your salvation is something you doubt. And I want to be really honest with you, this is me. For a really long time, it's been me. You ask the question, Matt, how in the world does somebody like you doubt your salvation? Here's why. Because what Holland said like last week was right on the money. The, the, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you realize your sinfulness. That's a true statement. Because the more you get a picture of his holiness, the more you get a picture of his goodness, the more you get a picture of how amazing he is, the, the more you're aware of how much you don't measure up the more you're aware of your own sinfulness. And that's been true in my life. Now, here's my problem. Here's where I jump into sin and in the flesh. Is I have a, I have a problem and I, I, over the years as I've seen a greater picture of his holiness and seen a greater picture of my sinfulness instead of what Holland said last week where we trust more into his grace and his love. I have a tendency to, to let that crumble me up into despair. I'm like, ah, I'm a sinner. How can I be saved? Because I'm messing up here, and I'm messing up here, and I'm messing up there, and I'm messing up there. And then I, I look at the slowness of my sanctification, and I look at the amazingness of God, and I just, I'm this person that's like, man, how in the world could God love somebody like me? Because I mess up here, 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 and here. And at some point, you would think I would get my act together. And what I've learned through these scriptures it's been huge for me in having assurance of my salvation. What I've learned through these scriptures is to do this. I've learned when I'm having those doubts to stop and to ask myself this question. Do I believe the gospel? And I say, yes, I do. Uh, do I believe that Jesus is the Christ and the son of the living God? Yes, I do. 
Am I trusting in that? Am I trusting in the cross and his resurrection to, to save me? Not my own merit, my own work, but am I trusting in the gospel to save me? Yes, I am. Do I love Jesus? And do I want to follow him the rest of my life? Yes, I do. And what this verse has taught me, what these verses have taught me, is I did not produce that in me. God did that in me. I didn't come up with that. God revealed that truth to me. And the other thing the scripture says that is absolutely true, that brings me comfort and peace in my salvation is this is that if God, the scripture promises us that if God is the one that started that in you, if God is the one that put that faith in you, the promise of scripture is he's going to finish that faith in you. If God's the one that started it in you, he's going to complete it in you because that's what Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, Paul says, for I am confident in this very thing that he who began, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. If you're here today and you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're trusting in him, I want you to know something. You are saved. You have forgiveness of your trespasses. You have redemption through his blood. And your confidence and your salvation cannot be in your ability to endure, but the confidence you have in your salvation should be in God's ability and God's promise that if he started in you, he is going to finish it. He's going to be the one that's going to finish it. That's the first group. God started in you. He's going to finish the last group and I'm done. I want to talk to the people in the room who are not believers. I want to talk to those of you who have never trusted in Jesus. I, I'm not going to stand up here today and try to convince you in the existence of God. Because I think we just learned I can't do that. Flesh and blood cannot reveal that to you. But here's what I want to do. I just want to tell you my story real quickly. And then, and then I'm going to pray and Aaron's going to come back up. I was a freshman at Texas A&M University. I was in the Corps of Cadets, and I was running like crazy from God. I did not darken the doors of a church first semester of my freshman year. I, I was a cliche, guys. I was the guy that was trying everything in the world to see if that would make me happy. And I would do it, and it didn't. And I was miserable. And I was running like crazy from God. And I was dating this girl from SFA. I was going to A&M. All those girls at AM, I was dating a girl from SFA, stupid. And she invited me to go on a ski trip uh, from a church in Amarillo over Christmas break. So I'm like, okay. And so here I'm going with this girl from SFA on a group of people from Amarillo, and we're in Colorado. I don't know anybody. I'm bald because I'm a freshman at AM. And we get about the second day, and my girlfriend breaks up with me. And so here I am. I'm up on the top of this mountain. I don't know anybody. I'm bald. My girlfriend's skiing with another dude on the black diamond there. And I'm like sipping hot chocolate, standing there with my life falling apart. <laughs> Thank y'all for laughing at my pain. I appreciate that. It <laughs> feel good. And this guy walks up to me. He was part of the group from Amarillo. His name is Brett Storsif. And he listens sometimes to the podcast. Thank you, Brett. Um, I love you. And he came up to me and um, started loving on me, asking my story. I told him he never really left my side the rest of the week. He, he skied with me the rest of the time, sat by me uh, on the trip home on the bus. And when we got back, 
uh, we were kind of saying goodbye. He said, man, there's a Bible study that I go to on Tuesday nights. When we get back from Christmas break, I'd love for you to go with me. And again, I hadn't gone to a church in months and months and months and months. And I remember in my brain thinking, I'm not going to do that. And sure enough, that first Tuesday back when we were on campus, phone rang. It was Brett. He said, man, I'm going to come pick you up at 7 o'clock. Starts at 730. I was like, okay. So he came, showed up, picked me up, got in the car, drove me to Office Chapel there at Texas A&M, walked in the door. And I don't remember what happened to Brett the rest of the entire night because I walked in and I sat down in the pew and they were singing this song, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. And Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds and nothing I desire compares to you. And I remember in that moment thinking, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. And I believed. And I told the Lord, Lord, I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. And I have. I want to tell you something, guys. As I look back on that, as I look back on that, I was not looking for God. God was looking for me. I did not find my way back to God. God found me. And because he is rich in mercy, he forgave my sins and he made me his son. And so if you're here today and you're not a believer, I want you to know something. God is looking for you. Why in the world do you think you're here today? God's looking for you. Would you trust in him as your Lord and Savior? And as you believe, know that he did that in you. Let's pray. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to I want to talk first to the people in this room that are believers. I, I just want you to think about the truth that you believe. You believe today. Because of the grace of God. Because of the grace of God. Just think about that. That moment you believed, that was God in His grace revealing to you the mystery of His kingdom. Mystery of the gospel in Jesus. He did that. Tell Him how good He is for doing that. For those of you who are struggling with assurance of, of your salvation, just... Believe that Jesus began in you what you got and he's going to complete it. There's no sin greater than the cross of Jesus. And for those of you that are not believers today, just the best way you know how, if God, you feel God calling you to himself, if you feel like God's calling you to follow him and to believe in him, trust in him for your salvation of, from your sin, just, say, just tell him the best way you know how today, so Lord, that's what I want to do. I believe you. I believe that what you did on the cross. and I want to trust in you to save me. Jesus, I thank you that you came after me. You didn't have to, but you did. And you poured out, you lavished your grace upon me. You sought me out. I was the one sheep running like crazy. You found me, you picked me up, put me on your shoulders, you brought me home. Thank you. 
I love you. You're the love of my life, Jesus. You really are. I pray that this church today give you praise that is due your name. So it's in your name we pray and we sing. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand together.